church. So good to be with you as always. If it's your first time, I want to give you a special welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Illuminate. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I would love to be able to do that just right after the service. I'm going to be hanging out right down uh, here in the front row if you want to stop by and say hi. So a lot of things going on at Illuminate. Foot is always on the gas pedal, it feels like. And coming up November 7th, it's going to be a really special Sunday because we're going to celebrate baptism. So uh, some people have been asking me lately, you know, hey, I, I was baptized as an infant. Do I need to be baptized as an adult? And my response is, as you read through the New Testament, what you see is people coming to faith in, in Christ, and then they're almost immediately baptized. But that's a decision that they make for them themselves after they place their faith in Christ. And I also say that if uh, uh, someone hasn't been baptized, if a Christian hasn't been baptized, it's kind of like you have some unfinished business with God. And the beauty of it is that you get to share your transformational story in front of the congregation, and then it becomes an encouragement to us and that we're reminded that God is in the business of changing lives. So that's November 7th. For more information on that, you can stop by the lobby. And then, uh, then coming up this Saturday, I can't believe it's coming up uh, so quickly, but we're going to have our biggest outreach event of the year. We call it Treat Street. You guys are the best. You guys have responded in such an amazing way. We, we were trying to, as a goal, have the uh, campus wrapped with 100 cars. And right now, we've got about 85 or 90, so we've got about 10 left. So thank you for that. Last year, we figured we had maybe a couple thousand people on our campus. This year, we're expecting upwards of 3,000. And the question should be asked, why? Why do we do this kind of thing? Well, it goes back to our roots as a church. From day one, we have always wanted to be seen as a gift to our community. So people will come never knowing that there's a church here, and then at some point if they have a need, they might think, you know what, I'm going to go back to that place that was so kind and so gracious and so warm and so generous. And in fact, we've got people who attend the church as a result of, uh, of events like that. So that's why we do that. And then this Wednesday, uh, we've got a worship and praise night, and God has been doing some remarkable things through our Bigger, Smaller, Deeper vision series. Those are probably three words that you know, you, you are ingrained in your minds, hopefully, uh, by now. Uh, we've had over 200 folks sign up to be in small groups who weren't, who weren't before because we've been talking about the use of our time and our talents. And then last week, again, you guys are incredible. We had about 100 people sign up to serve who had not been serving before. That was huge. Thank you for that. And then between Treat Street and Serve Week, we've got currently over 200 people involved in that. Our goal is huge, guys. Our vision is big because we believe that we have a big God. And so we want to get 500 people serving during Serve Week just to be a blessing to our city. So all that stuff coming on, going on, you can hit that QR code for more information uh, about all of that. So like I said, over the past few weeks, we've talked about our time and our talents for the kingdom of God. So there's just one thing left. And what is that? Our treasures. So I want to forewarn you a little bit. The air is going to feel a little bit thicker in the room today. Okay? Some of you might be asking the question, why do we even have to talk about this? It, well, first of all, if you know anything about Illuminate, we don't talk about money very often. Okay? And if it's your first time here, sorry, come back in a couple weeks, okay? Um, really, we don't. We didn't pass an offering plate 
all of that was with intentionality because we did a little market research before we started the church. And what we discovered is, and this is true in general, but especially in this neck of the woods, people perceive the church as always having their hand out. Church is always asking me for my money. So we thought, well, when we started the church, we can remove that barrier. We just, we just won't pass the plate. We won't present that. Now, I have a buddy that pastors a church in the Midwest, and when he approaches his congregation every week, he says, now, church, it's time to give our tithes and offerings to God. And the congregation cheers, and they clap, and they're so excited about the opportunity to give. They're in a church culture. According to Barna, Phoenix has just jumped into the top 10 most unchurched cities in the nation. So we're strategic and intentional about what we do and why we do it. At the same time, here's what we know. If you were listening to the ministry of Jesus, you're going to hear him talk about money nearly one-fourth of the time he spoke. Do you realize that? Now, if I did that, you all would be gone in about two months, okay? It'd be like me, my mom, and my wife, maybe, you know, and that would be it, okay? One-fourth of the time, Jesus, why? Why did he, why did he do that? We're going to answer that question in a second. Here's also what we know. Roughly about 50% of the people who call Illuminate their home church don't give anything. And I think there's probably three reasons for that. Number one, some are just unwilling. They just don't want to. Some are unable. That is, they don't have the resources to. And then thirdly, some are just uneducated. They don't know what the scriptures say about wealth. Now, I take my role seriously in that someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my leadership over this congregation. Someday you're going to stand before God. I'm probably not going to be in the room with you. You're going to be standing there before the God who created you and, and saved you and sustains you. And here's what I don't want you to to say. You know, I attended Illuminate Community Church. Jason was my pastor. I, I, I saw him open up the scriptures. I heard him teach. But you know, I never heard what the Bible says about my finances. Well, this morning and next week, you're going to hear about it, okay? So, off my shoulders, now it's on you, okay? The other thing that we know is that when God begins to transform us from the inside out. Believe it or not, one of, if not the primary places he begins is with the things that he has entrusted to you. So, you know, from day one, you know, about five weeks ago when we started this bigger, smaller, deeper vision series, I, I said, this is a transformational journey for all of us, okay? Every single, this is a transfer. Notice that I haven't used the word campaign once, and for good reason, because this is different. I don't want you to think, well, my church has this awesome vision of bigger, smaller, deeper, and their desire to reach the community and to accommodate all those that, that God, I don't want that to be your first thought. I actually don't, and that sounds, might sound strange to you. I don't want that to be your first thought. I don't want you to think, my church is asking me to give to something. I want your first thought to be this. What am I giving from? It's a big difference. 
Not what am I giving to, but what am I giving from? Uh, and, and let me explain why I say that. Um, Jesus, in talking about money, he just knew exactly what he was doing. He's the master teacher. So simple and so profound. He communicates such depth in just one sentence. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in the first century, when Jesus says heart, what he's, the heart was the seat of intellect, emotion, will. It was used to describe everything about you. And it's not like Jesus needed the money. Um, it's not like he's poor and needs a loan from somebody. The truth is, because Jesus is God and God owns everything, it's already his. And so when he says where your treasure is, your heart is, it's not about the money that he wants. What he wants is your heart. And your money is the most direct access to your heart. And we know this to be true. Because we spend our money on the things that we're passionate about. We spend money on the things that we love, that we care about. And so it's as if Jesus is saying now, if I want a location of your heart, if I want to know what's really important to it, then understand I'm just going to follow the money because your heart follows your money and your money follows your heart. And so in just this one sentence, he's saying something really, really profound. And so alternatively, when Christians intentionally give to the things of God, what they're saying is location. It's like a tracking device. It's like a little GPS, right? This GPS is on, our, is on our wealth. And wherever that GPS track, where that money goes, that's where our heart follows. And, and so this is, this is interesting. He could have said, you know, where your job is, there your heart is. Because some people love their jobs and their careers. But, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times the motivation behind that is what? Money. Jesus didn't say where your family is, there your heart is. Family's super important to us. But, you know, have you ever been engaged in a family that has been divided over money? Family can be really tight until mom or dad dies and then there's an inheritance. And then it becomes very divisive. Why? Because that's actually where the heartstrings have been all along, to the money, not to the relationship. So, I mean, Jesus is, he's always, always pressing in on the right things. And so again, as, as I began a few weeks ago, I said, guys, this is a journey of transformation. I want to tell you up front that Jill and I have been transformed. We've been having conversations together that we have never had before, and it's been very uncomfortable. And I'm super thankful for that. Because in the discomfort, there lies opportunity for growth. And you and I spend most of our lives pain avoidance. We try to avoid discomfort at all costs. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, let me press in on this a little bit. Now, thank God we have examples of what it means to be generous. And I'm using the word generous rather than give. Because it's one thing to give, it's something else to be generous. There's a difference between the two. All right, so 2,000 years ago, 
there's this gathering of Christians that were located in the region of Macedonia. And they hear of a need. Some Christians were in need in another city. And they step up and they meet that need and they are considered a generous church. So that's the example. Now, before we get into the, that example, I need to speak to something because many of us were raised in churches that taught the tithe. If you don't know what tithe is, tithe means 10%, right? In fact, I was, I've been told by some people as we've been working our way through bigger, smaller, deeper, when are you going to talk about the tithe? When are you going to talk? I'm like, just hold up. The tithe is coming, but it ain't what you think it is, okay? So if you read the Old Testament carefully, there are actually three tithes that are mentioned. There's a tithe for the Levitical priests. There's a tithe that went to the festivals. And then there was a special offering for the poor. So you add all those up, and you're roughly at 25% of a person's income. On top of that, you have first fruit giving. This is no specific amount that's mentioned in the Old Testament, but the concept is kind of radical because it's the idea that whatever crop you produce at the first of the year, you were offering part of that crop up to God, which was a real trust factor for you because you weren't absolutely certain that the next crop was going to come. The rains may be withheld, there may be a drought, or may rain too much and the crop gets washed out. So as you give off your first fruits, you're saying to God, I'm trusting you for what is to come. That's on top of all those tithes. Additionally, there are what are what's called offerings. These were just free will gifts that were given. So when many people think of the tithe, they think of 10%, and the goal is to get their 10%. What I'm telling you that for most people, if you're going to go Old Testament tithe, they think that's, that's it, that's the ceiling. What I'm telling you is that's the floor, and you don't even realize it. So why do many pastors teach the tithe? So I crunched some numbers this last week. And if everybody... If everybody who called Illuminate Community Church their home church, if y'all came at once on one Sunday, this room would not be big enough to hold everybody. No way. Okay? But if everybody who called Illuminate Community Church their home church lived at the poverty level, which is $27,000 a year for a family of four, if everybody tithed on that $27,000, we would have our yearly budget, and more. I'm thinking that in these surrounding zip codes, $27,000 a year is probably a little bit low in terms of the median income. What do you think? See, y'all aren't responding to me this morning. I told you. <laughs> I told you. Right? So, so a lot of pastors, a lot of churches will think if we can just get the congregation to tithe, we'll be set. And actually what I'm saying is two things. Number one, we are New Covenant, New Testament people, not Old Covenant, Old Testament people. Jesus made this very clear at the Last Supper when he said, this cup represents my, this cup represents my blood, which is what? A New Covenant. And by the way, new is so much better than old. If you read through the book of Hebrews, he's like, Jesus is so much better. The new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. It's better in every way. By the way, of all people, we as Christians living on this side of the cross should understand the gift of God. 
the generous gift of God. See, the cross represents many things. People think, oh, it represents love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. That's true. It also represents generosity. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? God is generous. So the words that we hear in the New Testament are words like sacrifice, generosity. All right. So we need to look at some of this, okay? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. Paul writes, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. See, God gave these churches a special grace. And was it special? For in a severe test of affliction. In other words, these were not wealthy churches. But they had this abundance of joy. And at the same time, they were extremely poor. Extreme poverty. But when impoverished Christians have the joy of Christ in them, something remarkable actually ends up happening. They overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Because they gave according to their means which wasn't very much. They didn't have a lot. Paul says, as I can testify, I was a witness to this, and in fact, they gave beyond their means. And they did it of their own accord. Look at this. They begged us earnestly. How about that? They begged us earnestly. This is every, every, every pastor's fantasy. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So there's this idea that there's this really impoverished church. And I wouldn't be surprised if other churches, Paul, along the way, maybe even Paul himself, because he's talking about them, he's like, let me just tell you a little story of inspiration about how God's grace worked in this, in this congregation. We didn't even think to ask them to give to the relief. See, what was happening is there was a famine in Jerusalem, and, and the Christians there, they're like, they're having a hard time feeding themselves. Other churches hear about it, and they're like, well, man, okay, we're only eating two meals a day, you know? I mean, we're down to two meals a day, but at least we're eating more than what the Jerusalem Christians, they're not eating anything, all right? And so people are thinking, well, what can the Macedonian churches do? They're poor. And the Macedonian church is like, excuse me, Paul, please don't leave us out on this opportunity. Don't let this opportunity pass by us. Please don't. They begged earnestly to be able to contribute to the relief of those who are in need. It's just, just an incredible, it's just an incredible group. He's like, how, how does this even happen? Paul says, we didn't even expect this. But here's how it happens. Watch this. They gave themselves first to the Lord. If, if you don't give yourself first to God, you will not be generous. It's impossible to be generous without saying, God, all that I am and all that I have belongs to you. Then by the will of God, they gave to us. Paul continues, chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, but not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the reason why God blesses us. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food 
will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So Paul lays out three principles here when it comes to generous giving. Number one, he says it's sacrificial. So this is where the hard conversation comes in, okay? Let's just be super candid with each other. We don't often think about what it means to do something that is just completely and totally sacrificial, especially with our finances. C.S. Lewis said this, if our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. So if someone is wealthy and affluent, let's use the tithe, 10% probably isn't sacrificial. On the other hand, the single parent who's trying to make ends meet, 10% might be a huge sacrifice. It might be that we need to help you. The point is that we would not look at other people and say, they're the ones who should be giving, not me. Because we have this habit of sticking our noses in other people's wealth. And there will always be somebody who has more than you. And it's way too easy to say, well, that person has a lot, so they're the ones that should be carrying the load. As for me, not so much. So Jesus presses in a little bit. And he says, here's the deal. This is actually the location of your heart for every single one of us. Where's your heart at? It's where your treasure is, no matter who you are. He puts no qualification on it. Next, he says giving should be cheerful. That kind of seems outrageous. Um, Cheerful giving is an expression of one's gratitude and love for God. Additionally, Paul says, God is being praised through your gifts. So when people say, I'm so blessed by the ministries of Illuminate, I'm so thankful for this church, all of that happens because of the generosity of God's people. Paul will go on to say, that's actually what I'm most excited for you about. Because when you do that, you're laying for yourselves, right? Up for yourselves, treasures in heaven. Thirdly, he says, giving is to be proportional, meaning that you give according to what you have been given. So this is, again, where it gets really interesting for us. Um, We all know, well, no, we don't all know this. Most of us could never earn another dollar for the rest of our lives, and we would still die among the world's elite rich. Do you realize that? When most of the world lives on roughly $2 a day, a little over 50% of the world lives on just $2 a day. We are that far removed. When we say giving is proportional, let me put it to you like this. In my family, I don't expect my kids to pay the mortgage. That's my responsibility. But as my kids got a little bit older and they started to drive, they got jobs. Guess what? Now, they do have a financial responsibility. It's in proportion to what they have. So now you're going to pay for your gas, you pay for your insurance, right? I'll still feed you, you know. This, this isn't an all-you-can-eat buffet, but I'll still feed you, you know. <laughs> 
You know, I'll, t- I'll take care of the heavy lifting, okay, because of what God has entrusted to me. So now this is interesting because now each one of us asks the question, with what God has entrusted to me as part of the Illuminate family, what is my responsibility? You see that? So this is really interesting, right? Because he says it's sacrificial, cheerful, and it's proportional. Now, one of the things needs to be brought out from this text, verse 10. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. And then he gives you the purpose of the multiplication of seed in your life. For sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. So here's what he's saying. God gives us what we need. You know, he gives us enough food to eat. He gives us bread and we eat that bread. But then God also gives us this other stuff called seed. So we take that seed, we plant it in the ground, and we reap a harvest. Let's say we reap some more bread, right? The purpose of that seed is to reap a harvest of righteousness so we get more bread and we take that bread and we use it for righteousness sake or right deeds. We use it to be a blessing to others. But here's what happens with many, many of us. We have the bread that God gives us, and then he gives us seed for sowing in righteousness. So we put that seed in the ground, we plant it, and we get more bread, and we we stuff our faces with more bread. And God's like, hey, time out. I didn't give you the seed so you could plant more bread to feed yourself. I gave it so you could be a blessing to other people. So the Bible is very clear. It is not a sin to be rich. In James chapter 5, we're told it is a sin to be wicked rich. Not like in the Bostonian sense. Wicked rich in this sense. That took a while, but it's good, right? A wicked rich person is someone who has become rich because they use other people. Because that's how money's usually never, it's never neutral. It's like you're, you're either going to, uh, you're going to love money and use people or you're going to use money to love people. There's never really a middle ground in it. And so there's some people who have become rich because they've used other people to become rich. That's wicked. But then secondly, it's interesting. This is kind of, this is a little bit spooky because there's this portrait of the rich person and all of the stuff that they've accumulated, it's personified, it comes to life. And it stands as a testimony speaking against the wealthy person as evidence that they have absorbed their wealth on themselves. And James says, woe to you. So God blesses you to be a blessing to other people. God blesses you to provide for what you need, but then there's seed to be a blessing to others and not stuff our faces with it. So there's one other example. Paul is in prison, and he's writing to this church in Philippi. You know, the the only reason why we have the letter titled Philippians is because of a generous church. That's the only reason why we have it. He says this in chapter 4, verse 10. By the way, Paul is in prison. He's flat broke. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What we learn later is that there's this guy that, that ends up delivering the funds for Paul on behalf of this church. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, which is kind of crazy because he's in prison. You'd think that he'd have some needs. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, here's the C word, content. Nobody likes that word. But you can't be generous without being content. 
says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in every and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's such a, it's a great verse. That verse in its context talks about you going without. The key word is contentment. I'm convinced we're very bad at this. We're very bad at this. We're horrible at this. In part, we have constant messages telling us that we don't have enough uh, or that there's something new and greater. Um, and, and that's basically it fuels what is in every human heart and that is coveting and that is such a pervasive sin that it's actually covered in one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and here's the real problem with coveting is that it misdirects our funds toward things that God never intended for us to have. And we don't even think twice about it. How many of us really, and I'm putting myself in this camp as well, how many of us, what's the key? What, how do you become content? I think in part, it begins through prayer. And so the prayer is this, God. I just bought these new rims on my credit card. Can you please help me pay for them? No, not exactly. The prayer is, God, is this something you want me to have? With what you've entrusted to me, is this a good use of the resources? See, come next week, Matthew 25 is all about the parable of the wise steward. So if we're not content, there's this harsh reality that we have to deal with. If we're not content, that probably tells us that our money is in control of us and we're not really in control of our money. We think we are, but we're not. One more thing. Your ability to be generous in the moment is a great indicator of whether or not you are in control of your finances. So I'll share this quick story. My dad, uh, he used to, uh, when he was uh, retired, he used to meet with a bunch of retirement buddies at McDonald's. You know, they'd be drinking coffee together, and man, those guys could talk about nothing all day long. I mean, they were Seinfeld before Seinfeld, man. You know, it's just like, it was amazing. And these guys had the sweetest hearts. They had all been devoted followers of Jesus Christ for many years. And I remember my dad saying one time, he said, you know, guys, at our age, the biggest check we should be writing is the check we write to our church for the advancement of the kingdom through the body of Christ. You know what he's saying there? It's super profound. He's saying that at that age, you should have lived your life in such a way as to have your financial affairs in order, that you've lived within your means, that you've been content, that now you have so much seed, it's just going out. It's going out, and it's all righteousness. And we're not good at being uh, content because our money is in control of us. By the way, if this is where you're at, we have something to help you. Because right now, some of you may be thinking, this is great, I'm there, I want this, but I'm really scared right now because it's out of control for me. Financial Peace University, we're gonna be starting here soon. You're gonna hear more about it next week from a young couple that, whose lives have been totally transformed by it. Uh, Jill and I have been through this kind of material ourselves. There is absolutely no shame in it. Um, no matter, regardless of where you're at in life, it's important to understand what the scriptures say about biblical stewardship. So Paul was broke, he's in prison in need. Let me just finish it out, verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And look at this, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, look at this. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
as a church planter, all church planters have to bow down before the Apostle Paul, the ultimate church planter of all time. Do you know how discouraging this must have been for him? Churches that he goes out and he plants, and there's a need, and, and the church is like, nope, can't help, sorry, nope, nope. The, only the church in Philippi said, yes, we will help. Even in Thessalonica, you sent, help, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Very pastoral heart here. He says, this isn't really about my needs. This is more, I get more excited knowing that you are laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven through your generosity. Now, I have received full payment and more. He's like, I'm good. I'm doing well, well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This verse is worth an entire sermon series itself. What Paul is saying is that God has the ability to meet all of our needs because he has the riches that are in Christ Jesus, which means he has everything. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's broke. He's in prison. He recognizes the difference between a need and a want. So perhaps it looked like this, right? There, there's a, a family in, in the city of Philippi, and they say, hey, our brother, our brother Paul is in need. And right now, you know, we're eating three meals a day. Um, you know, our, uh, we're, ha- we're having late night snack. We're, we're, we're doing good. But, but Paul is without. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go from three meals a day down to two. We're going to make that sacrifice. And then we're going to take the funds and we're going to send them to the Apostle Paul. Okay? Because you see, in the end, this really isn't about Paul. This is about, watch this now, this is about the location of our hearts. That's why I began this entire sermon series by saying, this is a transformational journey. And the most transformative part is probably going to come right here and now as we wrestle with money. So in two weeks, on October 31st, we're calling it Commitment Sunday. We want that to be a time of just explosion of thanks to God for the generosity of his people. I've spoken many times and at length about the vision of the church, creating space for our kids, enhancing our hospitality, throwing gas on all of our outreach. I mean, look, We do not lack vision at Illuminate. Our vision is big. At the same time, I don't want you thinking, my church wants me to give to something. I want you thinking, based on what the scriptures say, where am I giving from? Am I giving from my heart? Because that's what's going to transform you. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. God bless you all for that. That's not my thing. I'm a pastor. So as we work our way through this, the only thing I care about, about, far above anything else, if God gets a hold of the hearts of the Illuminate Community Church family in a way that I know he wants to, the vision that we currently have is going to be far too small. You understand? It will be far too small. That's why I say this is transformational. This isn't transactional. I could, honestly, for me, I could care less. I don't get like a commission off of anything. I could care, I, in a way, I could care less about that. What I care about is transformation. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And your money is an indication of where your heart is. So you have that little card. It's a commitment card. 
don't fill it out today. Don't fill it out today. The purpose of that is to get that in your hands today and for you to have a conversation with God wherein you seriously do some wrestling. <laughs> you know, this is, this, is a, this is a little location tracker now. This is a location symbol. Take two weeks. Make that your prayer. Sit down with your kids, your wife, your, your spouse, you're married, if you have a family. And you do that wrestling with God. And then in two weeks, we'll come back and we'll celebrate what God does. Again, for those who are feeling the tension right now, that's really good. I feel like Jesus had a lot of those conversations with people. Like to the rich young ruler, he kind of calls them out in a certain way. At first, the rich young ruler is all like, yeah, Jesus, I'm your guy. You know, I'm, I'm with you. And, and then Jesus kind of presses in on the financial issue. And by the way, if his God would have been something else, Jesus would have targeted that. But then that rich dude turns away from Jesus. And that, the air got kind of thick. It got kind of awkward. Yeah. All right, so uh, after the service, we're going to have some of the elders down here. We've been compiling a list of frequently asked questions um, regarding the finances as we move forward for the future vision. We want to make it super simple, complete and total transparency. We're uh, compiling a list of frequently asked questions. Some of the elders will be down here to answer whatever questions you might have. Also, we're going to put together a video that answers those questions just to get it out there to you guys in any and each and every way that we can. Again, full disclosure. But I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to do, pray some prayers you haven't prayed before. And we'll see what God does. Father, God, it's just it, uh, it all starts with the generosity that you've shown us through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Anything, everything we have comes to us from you. We're stewards of it. God, what we want is more and more thanksgiving being given to you. When we stand before you, there's not going to be an acknowledgement of our stinginess or of our self-absorption, Lord. It's hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, speak to every heart in the room. Father, for those who are in need of help, God, I pray that they would reach out, that they would receive it. Father, we pray with great anticipation for what you're going to do because all of this is all about you. For your fame, for your renown, Lord, with the time that you have given on this earth. All for your glory, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. God's people said.